So what are we going to talk about? Well, you know, we've got a special opportunity here, Steve. We've got Dean Alberga with us. Dean's here? He is. Wow. Well, actually, Dean's there. He's with you in the uh, in the legacy room at the old corporate quarters. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm up to There speak. he is. Look to your left or look to your right. I don't know which side he's sitting on, but he's right there. I know he is because I was talking to him a minute ago. We're staring each other in the face. Hi, I'm George Tekmachov. This is the Eastern Target Archery Podcast. I'm here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson and Dean, photographer extraordinaire from World Archery Alberga. Dean, thanks for yes. joining us again. Uh, thank you for having me, George. It's always a Steve, pleasure. Well, it's always a pleasure to, to see you as I did this past couple of weeks in uh, South Dakota. Steve, you. Yeah, we made up some time. Yeah, you never listen to the podcast, Steve. So I, I know you probably don't know that Dean was our special guest a few weeks ago, um, probably a couple of months now, on the podcast where we, <laughs> we talked about archery photography and we talked about his highlights in his archery photography career as well as his shooting career. So folks can listen back on that one, and get acquainted with Dean. But uh, Did you hear that real- noise? No. Someone's working a power tool down below us. I, it's it's uh, always an adventure trying to do a podcast where you are. I'm hopeful that this sound goes away very soon. Well, maybe we don't we'll hear move, it. Maybe we'll move to the other end of the table. You're actually fine. Seriously. All right. Because there's so no problem. Us. <laughs> That's the it, problem. It is. It's just you. Your, uh, whatever device you're using on your end is doing a good job of noise cancellation. So so we're good Excellent. there. Excellent. Okay. This then is I'm just the kind of... This is the kind of stuff that people listen in for the for the podcast for, though. You know that. Like, you're totally sure you can't hear this? I'm 100% sure. I'm using headphones. What kind? Uh, I'm happening, happening to use the Apple headphones at the moment. They're not, my, they're not my main go-to, but I happen to have had them handy. I usually use a set of Shure 835s, but uh, today I'm using the, uh, the Apples, the Apple uh, Pros. So, yeah, yeah. More stuff that does not have anything to do with a podcast. <laughs> yeah, what are we going to talk about? Did you say that already? I quit listening. No, no, I did not. Uh, we're going to talk about the World Championship. Um, we're, of all of us, Dean probably had the very best view because I was buried behind a whole bunch of technology. I never actually got to see physically with my eyeballs an actual shot during the entire event. It was the weirdest announcing experience of any event I've had in doing it for 30 years, ever. Even when that you were DOS, you, didn't, you couldn't see the field of play? I was not DOS for this event. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So, no, but during the week when I was up on the DOS stand next to the DOS, yes, I could see. But I'm talking about the finals field. I got you. I got you. That, okay. that was a yeah, bizarre, yeah, yeah. bizarre, bizarre experience. Basically, I got two computer monitors in front of me with a camera shot of the targets which is 2D, so it sucks for calling arrows because, you know, with a spotting scope, if you a good spotting scope, if you move your head a little bit, you get a 3D effect. You can see where the, where the line is versus the arrow. But with a computer monitor, you can't see squat. You can't tell if it's a liner in or out. And so um, there were lots of, well, it could be an eight, could be a nine kind of calls. And it really um, was, was horrible. <laughs> as, a, as far as an announcing experience goes for me personally, it sucked. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it was really good to see all the shooters and to hear all the, all the nice uh, 
things people had to say about the event and all that. So that was that kind of made up for it. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty good event, all things considered. I thought the finals uh, backdrop was great. You know, for the, the, of course, I have some criticisms of other stuff, but it's all like irrelevant and tiny. But uh, in terms of you know the actual presentation of the part that mattered, the archery it was pretty darn good. And, and Yankton surprised me turning out more people than I expected. You know, it didn't surprise me just how warmly the community welcomed the shooters from around the world. They, they were, they were stoked to have archery there. They were stoked to have people from so many countries there. Every local that I ran into, Oh, are you here with archery? Oh, I just met so-and-so from Poland, or I just met so-and-so. I just met the guy who won the Olympics in from Turkey, they were so excited to have yeah. the archers in town. Was that was that your experience, Dean? Did you did you run yeah, into some exactly. of that? Exactly. I mean, uh, while going uh, to do some grocery shopping at, at the world famous Walmart, which was <laughs> probably the daily trip for for uh, all archers there. Oh, anybody with uh, wheels, yeah. At, yeah. At one point, I had my world archery shirt on and people instantly approached me like, Hey, are you here for the archery? And, uh, asking questions if it was possible to come up and, and watch the finals and stuff. So yeah, people were trying to get really involved. Yep. The, the stands were full on, on, uh, both Saturday and Sunday. And Sunday yeah. yeah. It was cool. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Cause I sure couldn't I mean, see it. Full. it's hard to say full. I'm sure you could have jammed some people in there, but, there were a lot of people who just wanted to stand as well. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty cool. I was, I was surprised. The, the weather for the finals turned out pretty darn good. You know, the mornings were beautiful. The women's compound, women's recurve, they had beautiful mornings. Yeah. And then got a little choppy, keep things honest in the afternoon. And, you know, it was, it was pretty ideal. You couldn't have, couldn't have complained too much about any one thing. Yeah. No, for sure. Both the men's and the women's compound rounds had um, different weather, very different weather. Same for the recurves. The morning rounds for the women were, were almost ideal, weren't they? Yeah. Getting back to, to Bruce's team, I mean, we've been to a couple of big events there and they've always did a great job. Bruce's uh, team, yeah. Yeah. And, and the whole community, the whole uh, community is getting involved and, and yeah, dressing up the field. It's, it's always been like really good looking. And for sure. And, you know, the the um, the fact is this was the first event we've had all year that actually had a live audience. And so the dynamic, the archers alluded to this, the dynamic was completely different than all of the matches that we've seen so far this season. But, Dean, you've been to almost all of them. Tell us what your perspective was on that. No, exactly. It, it was it was not just good for me to get some photos with people in the stand and and. I know that some of the artists even mentioned it that yeah they and really enjoyed shooting in front of a crowd again. It it gave them yeah that little bit of extra energy so to speak, and and yeah. it it's it's yeah. more of a show now and it it was more of a show instead of having just a few guys standing on the podium shooting some arrows with no audience. So this was like really good for for the sport. Yeah, you know it's like a tripod, right? You have to have the shooter. You have to have the audience and you have to have the sport presentation on the field to make it all work. If you have any one of those two things not there, it's just plain weird. You know, yep. it's, it's, it's discordant. There's something off about 
for example, if you listen to or watch the television coverage of Lausanne, the World Cup stage in Lausanne, um, you know, you hear an announcer in the background saying something like, and now, you know, cheer for so-and-so. Well, there's nobody there to cheer for so-and-so. It's just weird, you know, <laughs> whereas we had a real yeah. audience in Yankton and that was great. Yeah. And like you said, they, they didn't give a darn who it was. They were, nope. they were pumped to see it. Were, yeah, exactly. You know what, George, I'll tell you this uh, with, you know, I mean, I don't want you to get too excited here, but some guy, some random guy who, just goes to events and makes like vlogs and stuff. He said, who's this announcer? Does he do big events? He does really good. And I was like, yeah, he's, they let him do like uh, kickball tournaments and, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Uh, dodgeball events. He does. He's a big ESPN eight guy. Yeah. I told him who you, who you were. And I said, yeah, he's got, you know, a few uh, goes at this before, so. Well, uh, that's nice. Thank but you. yeah, he thought you were he thought you were really good. I didn't tell him like, hey, he's just making up most of these names, just saying them with a, with enough uh, conviction, conviction to pass. You, you did say that on Facebook. I saw you say that. I did. Yeah, I did say that. It was uh, Daryl Hunt, one of our friends. He said, "said Man, is there anybody better at getting the names announced right than George Tekmachov?" I said, "He's." He's only getting about half of them right, but he's saying it with such conviction that you believe him. And the people who are who he's talking about start to believe that maybe they pronounce their own name wrong. Well, you're giving up my secret here, Steve. Right, well, Dean how, Algebra. How... <laughs> <laughs> Has anybody ever called you that, Dean? Oh, many times. I, oh, like my, my second name. So, and I just answer because I know. <laughs> Mathematics genius, Dean Algebra. <laughs> well, you have to calculate well, that. So I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, you're probably the only guy in the room right now who hasn't been called bad names. But anyway, mm -hmm. on, on to, onward and upward. Dean, I, I'm going to put you on the spot, just like World Archery always does at events, when they force you to pick your five favorite photographs of the 40,000 that you take at events and ask you, what were your favorite what was your favorite moment or moments if you could sum some of those up from uh, let's, let's keep to uh, world championship for now. We'll talk about world cup later. World championship. Oh man, I got to dig deep. Um, and if you want, was, we can come back to you. It, it, it was nice to see Sarah had her first world championship. Yes. That's uh, one thing she, she really, really wanted. For sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, I was surprised to see, and this is like, general thing to see a lot of the youngsters do so well this tournament yes and people of, of who you wasn't weren't expecting to finish where they did yes i mean i was yeah continuance that's it like we saw we saw some uh breakout shooters right yep. we saw some shooters exactly. that we have not ex maybe didn't expect to see we also however i mean if you look at the top of the podium of the recurve men um, I would say I would not have expected to see Marcus de Almeida up there, uh, perhaps, although no, he's there, been there on. Was, I mean, I expected him to do well, but not ended up on the podium. So that was one of the biggest surprises. And I mean, he deserved every bit of it. He, uh, he's been shooting consistently well this season. And yeah, this is yeah a thing which is good for Brazil. Hopefully, Arthur in Brazil will kick off a bit more than it. Than I, it has so far, but I don't yeah, it's it's real difficult. Deserved. 
with a mustache like that, I thought oh, he deserved okay. I, top I place on the podium. Agree, hundred percent. Yeah, he absolutely had the winning winning mustache of the event, yeah, Steve. You're right. He just fit. I mean, it fits him. Like you're like, dang, that guy looks good. Rico, yeah. Rico Suave, man. He looks like Rico Suave. Rico Suave, Luigi. You know, <laughs> there's a little bit of that there. Wario, yeah, that's, that's a movie star. That's a movie star caliber mustache on that boy. Yeah, Kim Woo-jin, yeah. of course, you know, Kim Woo-jin, just kind of an unstoppable force. Um, third career world championship in Yankton. He joins only four other men to have done something like that. And uh, I got to say, he looked cool as a cucumber up there. He just was solid. You know, uh, the wind was playing with with uh, him and with uh, Marcus. But at the end of the day, we really saw Kim Woo-jin's real potential. And, yeah, and um, you know what? Like. I think for the first time I've seen a bit of emotion coming out of Kim Woo Jin after winning a tournament. And, and well, he is kind of the Mr. Spock of the archery world, isn't he? Yeah. If you will. Yeah. So, but I he's, mean, uh, yeah. He, yeah, he, he expressed it. He was really him. happy. Yeah. He's, he's only the fourth archer in history to win three world titles. Um, you know, back in the early days, early, early days, we're talking 1930s. Um, there was, I believe, a Polish shooter, and mm-hmm. then there was, uh, a, I think, a German shooter with four consecutives in 1947 through 1950. In the modern era, it's only Rick McKinney who has collected three world championships, yeah. 1977, and then- 1983, and 1985, all with X7 arrows. Maybe by 85, I think he was using, yeah, for sure, by 85, he was using AC arrows. But in 77 and 83, I'm pretty sure he's still on aluminums. I mean, how, how would you weigh this this third win of Kim Woo Jin compared to the others? Like, oh well, for sure. In the modern era, with things as competitive as they are, because you got to remember, basically in in 1977, 1983, Daryl Pace and Rick McKinney were the Korean team, if if you know what I mean, from the yeah, standpoint yeah, yeah. of domination. Yeah. So today, for Kim Woo Jin to do this, it is absolutely the pinnacle of achievement in our sport, in my opinion. And I would say the way guys were shooting both in the finals at world championships and then continued to shoot at the world cup final. I mean, Jack was shooting incredibly well. Kim Woo Jin had to get through him, I think in the round of 16, maybe, mm-hmm. um, you know, Jack was shooting well. Meta was shooting well. Brady was shooting well. Marcus was shooting well. Like everybody who got up there, you're like, this is, these guys are putting it down. Yeah. So for him to win that one and what's it been a decade since he won his first? Yes. Like most guys, their shoulders fall apart when they're that good shooting that long. So he's, and he, he just has, he, whatever it is, you know, people will criticize him at the Olympics, whatever, but world championships, you know, he consistently, he, whatever criticisms you have for him at the Olympics, he's the exact opposite at world championships. He shows up every time and listen this guy is 29 years old he may have a couple more in him i mean it's entirely possible yeah and then he's you're one of you're, those 29 year olds who you think is 45 yeah kind of right because he's got the not, bearing not appearance wise but just like he's been around yeah, so at a high level so long around. you're yeah. like he's not 29 he's got to be older than that yeah and his bearing his mental bearing you know he just has such a uh, calm and steady unflappable kind of demeanor yeah, um, the you know the baddest thing I've ever seen in archery 
is when he at the first World Cup in 2016, he shot like a 696 or something. And he said, I don't remember what the score was. That might have had nothing to do with it. But he said in an interview, he said, I'll break the world record at the Olympics, which we all knew meant he was going to have to shoot a 700. And he did it. The guy freaking did it. Yeah, there's confidence there. But also, I mean, that's not arrogance. That is not cockiness. That is confidence. And clearly, um, you know, the other, the other consideration to, to further the question that you'd asked, he did it in the era of the set system. And I'm sorry, but the set system does not necessarily reward the best archer all the time. No, it Whereas doesn't. in this case, it did. Fail. Yeah, but I mean, you know, look at his qualifying. You can't argue that he's not literally the best guy out there right now. Yeah, and, and like we said, I mean, any given day, there's, you know, sometimes there's a handful of guys who can win. Right now, I feel like there's a good a good handful plus. Yeah. And those guys I rattled off earlier, Kim Woo Jin, uh, Brady, Jack, Meta, Nespoli, uh, O, uh, Kim Dejok, all these guys capable of winning any given tournament. And when you put the set system into play, now it really gets hard for the best archer to win, which is why I'll never like really hang my hat on. I mean, in my opinion, the best archer showcases themselves at world championships, which is an every two year thing. And at world cup finals, which can shows who consistently shoots better over the course of a year. So like, you make the world cup final and that's huge. That shows that you are consistently the best. You do it 10 times in a row. You're consistently one of the best. You win it five times like Brady. Okay. Like hard to argue against you. And then you get a guy like Kim Woo Jin over the last decade, three world championships. You know, that's, again, more of a showcase to him being consistently good than having his, you know, one-off chance at, at the, at the Olympics every four years. Yeah. Well said, Steve. I agree. You know, when you look at the bronze medal match, oftentimes at this level, the bronze medal match is even more dramatic than the gold medal match can be because you know, the one guy is going to leave without any medal at all. And that match between Brady Ellison and Metagazos was, in my opinion, one of those caliber matches. Um, I, I had the opportunity to spend quite a bit of time with Brady during the week because, uh, for example, um, we went to a high school homecoming football game with a crowd of about 2,000 people where Brady shot a single arrow and just brought the house down in the, in the football stadium there, you know, just to, just to sort of advertise our event and kind of you know, Brady didn't have to do it. He, had, he was focused on what he was there to do. And he took the time, Brady took the time to, you know, get on one of Bruce's golf carts and, and go to this game and shoot an arrow in front of this giant crowd. And um, I'll say this, I think Brady did more to promote the sport of archery with that one shot than all the people that we had in the stands during the week. Uh, that, was, that was something that really resonated with the crowd there. And um, I think that, you know, the fact he's willing to do that kind of thing says a lot about Brady. But my point is that the match between Brady and Meta, it had all the drama. It, it certainly had um, a little bit of a bittersweet aspect to it, because for both of those guys, I think they they were hoping to be in the gold medal match. You know, Brady's the defending champion and Meta, of course, the Olympic champion. 
so it was a real treat to be able to see Brady and Meta for that match. I know they were both disappointed to be in a bronze medal match instead of shooting for gold, but for sure, that to me was a highlight match of this event. Yeah, and you know Brady had a little bit of like, I'm not, I'm not going to let this guy get a whole lot of momentum against me. You know, he already again. got me in the Olympics. I'm not giving it to him again. And, yeah. and Brady responded well. Dean, you had the eagle's eye view of the situation. What was, you, what was your analysis? What's your take on that particular match? You mean the one at the World Championship or the one at the, the, the Games? Uh, the World Championship in this case. I think there was... Actually, maybe... Let me back up because you give us a good opportunity here. Absolutely. Uh, maybe compare and contrast the two. I mean, during the Games... Uh, you know, we don't have as much contact with the athletes as, as we have at, at the World Championship. So I I couldn't read Brady as, as much as I, I could read him at the World Championship. So, uh, but still, in my opinion, I, I felt Brady was a bit more relaxed at the World Championship. Yes. And he just, some people said it was a grudge match, but... I don't think so. I think Brady just wanted to win this match, no matter what happened in the past. Or yeah, yes, that's it. Yeah. You can't say Brady's like, oh, I'm gonna try harder now no. that it's Meta. Like, not at all. Yeah, I, you know, I, I almost guarantee you that's not his mindset. Yeah, I do think it was like, I, you know, I definitely want to win this one because, like I said, he, you don't want to let a guy get on a roll with you and have your mm-hmm. number. But at the same time, I think more importantly, he's. <laughs> It's Brady's like, I want to win every match that ever pops up. So, and, you know, to get on, to get on the the podium again after winning in 2019, you know, continue to have that success and, and be right back at it after what he called the disappointing games is, you know, that's important for him as well. And he accomplished all that. And impressive that he was able to maintain his momentum and, and fire in the belly, shall we say. To, to get through these world championships because a lot of a lot of pundits talk about sort of the post-Olympic slump. Didn't see any sign of that in Brady Ellison at all. Or for, or Meta Gazos for that matter. And you know Meta has had a big disruption in his life after winning Tokyo. But yeah, do you yeah, know that definitely. they actually, they actually um, pulled him away from the media and stuck him back in a training camp so he could get ready for this because it was just too much of a distraction back home in Turkey with all the demands on his time. Um, after winning the Tokyo Games, they his coaching staff got him back on track by basically isolating him again. Which probably was it was a good thing. Absolutely, it certainly paid off. I mean, I, I know he's got to be disappointed with a fourth place finish, but it's his first world um, championship uh, at this level, and I think that uh, we're going to be seeing a lot more of Metagazos in the years ahead. The women's recurve final. Um, when we consider what Casey Koffold managed to pull off, I have to say, very impressive to beat Anne San and to claim a medal at the World Championships for the first time for an American woman in three decades, pushing four decades now. Very impressive. You know what? Uh, we, we have this thing where we, the, the, the archery experts, uh, predictions we do at, at world archery we i mean you've been taking part in it a couple of times and uh i've always had 
a, a couple of times I had Casey Carvel as my favorite. And so, yeah, I, I've been seeing something in her, like the will to win and the will to fight. And it's going to pay off for her. And now she finished second. But I think there's more coming for Casey. But she beat Ansan 6-2. Oh, yeah. She is yeah, the yeah, only yeah. person this season who's beaten Ansan in anything. Yeah, it was really, really amazing. She told everyone, she was sitting there with the team and she told them and her mom, she said, she told them it was going to happen. So I guess she really, yeah, I guess she was feeling pretty good going in. She looked very confident. It was uh, probably a big step forward for her in, in just her ability to get on the final stage and feel comfortable and then go perform how she needs to. Well, and I got to say, this has been, you know, no surprise, right? It's been, it's been a steady progression that Casey has experienced. She qualified fifth at the world championship qualifying round, which gave her a buy into the third round. Now you may, you, you know, you and I, Steve, we've talked about this some and, and Dean, you and I as, as well, sometimes having a buy isn't all that great because you're coming in a little colder than the yeah, people especially you've got at world against. championships where they right. always put you, the freeze on you. World Cup, it's different. World Championships, it's a problem. Yeah. But, you know, she had a buy into the third round. She beat the world indoor champion, Veronica Marchenko, 6-2. Then she had to beat a shooter from Romania and then a top shooter from India. And in each case, um, you know, 6-2, 6-4, 6-2. That's how it went to get into the final four. Uh, now, remember, earlier this year, she became the first junior age archer to shoot higher than 680. Remember, she's, what, still 17 years old. And um, she broke the world record for the 70-meter round earlier this year with a 682. Um, and the record she broke happens to have been held by Ann San. Mm. So, you know, that's kind of interesting, too. When we look at the, uh, the fact that Casey was able to win the USA its first recurve women's medal at a world championships in, in over 30 years, in 33 years, as a matter of fact, since, um, since Denise Parker, in fact. Uh, again, the consistency, her continued climb to the top of the level, it's just been really great to see and a remarkable uh, thing to watch. And I just hope that her slipstream will help pull more American women to a higher level. Certainly Mackenzie Brown, um, who due to um, having had a positive COVID test was unable to compete for the U.S. at the World Championship. Uh, may have certainly left her mark as well. She still had a lot of momentum coming out of Tokyo, but Casey did a terrific job. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was everything you want to see, and and I like I said, I hope it springboards her even further. And it the the only bad part about this is now the season's over. You want to keep riding that after yeah. you have that kind of confidence and. And, uh, you know, keep getting some more of it under your belt and, and just yeah. getting the experience. But yeah, Dean, please get a little closer to the mic there, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, I said it, it, it would be interesting to see what she would have done if we still had like a couple of big international shoots this year. So, oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think that while we all wish we could see more of this, I also happen to know that, uh, quite a few shooters who have been on the circuit um, are pretty well happy to see it come to an end right now, because I think that it's been a grueling thing to kind of jump back into travel and everything else for a lot of the folks involved. 
not the yeah. least of whom are the people like you, Dean, who are, you know, the staff and have to go to all the events and spend 12 hour days and, uh, yep. and all At that least, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is we didn't have more tournaments than, than other years, but it was like after the year of having nothing. Yeah. It was like zero to 60 right away. Boom. Yeah. And having all those tournaments we had this year, almost back to back. Yeah. I, I, I got a little tired at the end. So. And I think that that is a philosophy or a, a, I should say an observation that is shared by a lot of the shooters. Um, yep. you know, Cause a lot of the shooters, not the Koreans, but a lot of the other shooters certainly did uh, experience that same kind of thing. Um, yeah. And then same, same for the, 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 the people that work the events, the world archery staff, uh, volunteers. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the, behind the scenes and, uh, and many people know. And, and yeah, 12, we're all, we were all doing 12, 14 hour days and then get up early, go to bed late, get to the field first, leave the last. So yeah, yep. it's, it's, it's been, it's been a hard one this year. Yeah, it kind of kicked my butt too, to be brutally honest with you. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I can't imagine. Moving on to the compound women, um, you know, uh, before we talk about the top, I, I think if we look at the top 20 compound women, we see pretty much a who's who of who is relevant at the very highest levels. You've got uh, standouts like Nora Valdez, who ended up 17th, Sophie Dodimont from France, 16th. Uh, Linda, your wife, Linda Ochoa Anderson, Steve, uh, she ended up 15th at the, uh, at the event. Paige Pierce from the USA finished 13th, defending world champion Natalia Avdieva was 12th. Um, and then you've got some, uh, you know, people who've been around for quite a while. Sarah Preels, uh, eighth place. Tanya Galantine, um, who used to compete as Tanya Jensen before she married Braden. Um, Tanya was seventh. Uh, Jothi Venom, uh, Andrea Marcos, uh, Toya Ellison, Alejandra Uschiano, Ella Gibson from GBR, and then Sarah Lopez. Um, you know, for that qualification, we knew that we were going to have real quality in terms of of the brackets and we did not get disappointed did we we really saw some great matches for the women's compounds the women's compound was ridiculous i was watching it i was like i don't think i'd win a single match up here they yeah. shot so freaking good i mean their their scoring was better than the men's yeah that's it was insane conditions related uh, it is it is but to you, be fair they shot really well yeah i'm yep. telling you you put the, the men in the same conditions and the scores would not have been better yeah, best match. You know, well, they certainly would have been better than Ms. Venom, who happened to shoot the first perfect score for a compound woman on television uh, ever, you know? I mean, that yeah, was, was that was a pretty remarkable thing, and she ended up with silver medal there, but... Um, it was... I, yeah, I wouldn't have gotten through any one of those matches. It was <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, you, you talk about conditions, and that's always something, but there's... You're, you're also shooting our world championship exactly, like yeah. that's the hardest part sometimes you throw in a little bit of conditions there and that can kind of get you focused up. not focused up but it it makes it so you're more expecting to see that shake in your scope and when it's dead calm and you got you know you have to go out there and shoot tens like that's what that's what separates the best archers from those who are pretty good and people people think that good archers outdoors in compound 50 meter, they think, oh, they're the ones who can shoot really well in the wind. Nope. They get through the wind, but when they absolutely have to shoot really well, when the conditions say, okay, you got to shoot tens all the time or you go home, that's when they're the best. 
They can shoot Remarkable. 148, 149, 150 when it absolutely has to. Yes. And I think that, you know, at this level, we saw that. Now, I will say this, um, clearly, Colombia, super strong. Uh, they are the current Koreans of compound women's archery, in my opinion. Um, go ahead and dispute that if you like, or, or argue with it. I think that we could have a rational discussion about it. They definitely were at the peak of their game here. I mean, they've always been one of the strongest competitors as a team. I mean, and even even individually, if you look at the last couple of years, uh, Sarah Lopez, Nora Valdez, uh, Alejandra Uscoyano. I mean, separate or individually, they are good, and which not necessarily makes them the best team in the world. But these girls, they just, as a team, yeah, they, it, it just works for them. And, yeah, and they consistently deliver. You know, whether yeah. whether they're at the very top of the podium or not, they're quite consistent in terms of meddling at this yeah. level of event. And I think that that speaks a great deal. Steve, do you have any insight as to why uh, we're seeing that kind of result from Colombia of all places? I mean, when you have the best compound female to ever walk the face of the earth in your home nation, if you want to be any good at archery and maybe win a few events, you better get pretty good, right? So they've been... If you think about it, Alejandra has been good since 2012. That's when she made yes. the World Cup final and I think won in yes. Paris. I don't remember. But she's, no, I think you got it right. She has had her struggles since. And right now they've got all three of them shooting really well. And that's anytime, anytime you're talking about the best teams, you got to have three shooting well at the same time. And you might have three great archers, but if you have two shooting well, you get beat by – three good archers who are shooting well at the same time. You know, the most impressive thing I ever saw was their performance in Bellic. And Dean, you were there. Um, I, I can't remember, Steve, if you were there, but Bellic had, we had wind gusts over 40 miles an hour. And yeah, they were wearing backpacks and backpacks full of water bottles to, to help keep them a little steadier in those conditions. It was incredibly difficult. And Alejandra in particular stood out to me as having such a good attitude in spite of the really crappy conditions. Um, you know, and, and Sarah, of course, just a, a nice human being. And uh, I think that helps too. you know, the attitude. Yeah. It, when, and especially when, you know, when you're like, you're talking, when things were absolutely crappy, when people go in and they go, Oh, this sucks. And, you know, I don't want to do this. I hate shooting like this. You're not going to shoot well. Um, but yeah, as a team, they seem to get along at least well enough. You know, they work together well. <laughs> I don't know now, the ins and outs of it, but. Yeah. For me, Dean, maybe you have some more insight on this. Um, you know, we got a couple of the Euro European men that are new to maybe the very top level of the podium, but both um, Nico Wiener, the gold medalist, the, the world champion, and Robin Yatma from Estonia, both of them have done quite well on the European circuit, uh, have they not? Uh, especially, uh, you know, in, in terms of 3D archery and stuff like that, right? That's Nico. Nico is in, in is big in the European 3D archery scene and field as well. He's, he's a good field and 3D shooter. Um, I have to admit, I did not expect Nico to win this. Uh, he is, no. he's a good target shooter, decent, good to a decent to good target shooter. And I know he could make top eight, top five maybe, but winning it was like a pleasant surprise. 
Well, without taking anything away from Nico and his achievement, would either of you say it might be fair to say this was more Mike Schlusser's loss than Nico's win on a certain level? I, I know oh, how no. I know how bad that sounds, but I'm asking. No, Nico shot better scores throughout the entire of the finals. Um, he had the highest air average through those three matches. So um, he earned it. He earned it. Yeah, is, is the point. And Nico at home, I'll watch his. You know, he loves archery. He posts on the Facebook all the time, and he'll he'll be like, "Yeah, I shot seven fifteen here at my." home whatever tournament and then i shot two 150s and one gold and he's just never had that he's never shot well to what he's capable of at world cups or you know any of those events where that look like world championships so we've never even seen him on a finals field if i'm not mistaken Uh um and in target and there like Dean, I didn't expect him to win, but I was not surprised when he was in the final eight. I thought, oh, he might, you know, he might make a run, maybe even get himself on the, the podium. And I thought it was honestly, I looked at the the brackets and I said, whoever wins between Mike and Chris Perkins is gonna win this event. And Yatma kind of surprised us. I think Yatma was the one who beat Perkins. Yes. Um and that was just a really windy match. Like that was, that was tough for everyone involved. That whole set of matches kind of stunk for everybody. And some of the archers went and shot it well. Of course, that's what always happens in the wind. Someone gets the, they get the dope and they they beat the wind. Um, so Perkins went out early. So I thought, all right, Mike's gonna, you know, have his way with this, and he was shooting awesome. And then Nico just beat him. Yeah. I mean, let, let's not forget uh, Yadma, for instance. He we were talking about the flow a little bit. He just came out of the World Junior Championship winning title. So he was in, I mean, and the scores they were shooting there, they were like the same scores like the seniors are shooting. So, I mean, he was on a good roll and he just kept going. And yeah, I'm, I'm, same yeah, it's actually it's actually Yatma that took out Perkins podium, by one point. By uh, the way, in the uh, quarter in the uh, quarters, it was uh, Yatma that beat Perkins. Yeah, that's what we were. Yeah. That's what we were talking. Yeah. And same thing. I mean, he shot he shot great, and he wasn't any less than any of the shooters in the top eight. So yeah. Yeah, and he had to take so surprised out. me. He ended up podium, but. Well, he survived. Um, he survived a shoot off with Choi from Korea. Uh, they both had a 146 in fairly windy conditions and Yapma delivered a 10 when Choi shot a nine on the shoot off. So, um, you know, you could be looking at a quite different podium if that had not been the case, but as things turned out, uh, it was absolutely a very competitive event for the man from Estonia, Mr. Yapma. And so your, your top eight were Nico Wiener followed by Mike Schlusser. And I want to talk about Mike in a moment, but, uh, Robin Yapma was third. And you had Matthias Fullerton from Denmark, who, uh, you know, made it to the final. Matthias is a, a talented young guy. Yep, very. Abhishek Virma from India, brilliant shooter from India. Uh, JP Bolsch from France was sixth. Miguel Becerra from Mexico was seventh. And Chris Perkins of Canada was number eight after the uh, final ranking for the World Championship. So any one of those guys could have won, uh, in my opinion. Uh, any one of them could absolutely have won that world championship, Nico Wiener coming out on top for Austria. 
You guys want to yeah. talk about World uh, World Cup at all? Oh, have we missed anything? No, I think we covered it all. Time to talk uh, World Cup? Yeah, we mostly, I mean, we, we briefly discussed women's compound. No, we discussed it. If we didn't, we're really sorry. Let's talk about World Cup final. World Cup you know, final. I got to pull up the results. So I, yeah, I'm doing, I just did the same. Sorry. Uh, you know, one of the, one of the things that I always run into when I have to announce one of these events is if I, if I don't look at the results, I can't remember what happened because I have to go from one thing to the other without thinking about it. And so it doesn't register or I'm starting to lose my mind one or the other or both. This one was tough because they were the same venue, same people. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was a tough one to remember. Yeah. And in fact, right, I've uh, got them pulled up. All right. Picking it up here. You know, this was the first time we've had a World Cup final immediately following a world championship. Um, made sense to do it this time around because they didn't have to rebuild an entire venue. All they had to do was shuffle the presidents around. I think they put Teddy Roosevelt on the left. <laughs> <laughs> and, the whole thing, you know, for for everyone involved, World Archery and the LOC and the athletes, it totally makes sense to do it this way. Especially this year. The, yeah, for the fans though, the people watching. I mean, I I watched every match basically, and I succumbed to watching the live stream comments on YouTube, which was oh, just no, 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 incredible. Like the amount of uh, belief, like people really have a a lot of belief in their statements, despite how wrong they might be. But they it's... they're like, it's like you when you announce some names. <laughs> but that, that is harmless and what these people are doing is just bad because a lot of people might read that so anyhow there was a lot of confusion people were like why are they calling this live this happened last weekend it's like no this is a completely different event you know yeah so, unfortunately they have similar names kind of sort of if you're not paying attention yeah yeah world championship world, world cup i mean they both got the world word world in them and you could see that being uh, a little confusing to the non conyosenti yeah. And in fact, I found myself having to explain it a few times to people, you know. Sports, the World Cup is a world championship, so. Yeah. Maybe we could call it the Grand Prix, the Archery Grand Prix. Yeah, yeah. I, I say that because I've been watching a lot of Formula One this year. Yeah. And they're all Grand Prix. So let's, uh, for our listeners who might not know, let's recap what is the World Cup. The World Cup takes the top eight shooters from the World Cup circuit and brings them to a venue to duke it out. Um, they're pre-qualified. So there's a draw that takes place for the brackets. Rather than have them shoot a qualification round or a, a ranking round, there is an actual draw. And that happens um, you know, the night before the first matches take place. And the draw is televised. You can go to YouTube and you can actually see the draw being done on television. And literally, it's it's a draw. You you pull names out of a bucket and and you match them up against the top seeds. Did you say the names after they pulled them out of the bucket? I was that. Uh, I was the stucky for that. Uh, Who was the you, bucket puller? Uh, different different um, South Dakota political and social figures. Folks How, from was it like a ping pong ball or yeah, kind of like that, except it had the name inside a piece of paper. So you had to it was like the prize that you used to get when you were a kid. You'd put the five cents in the 
in the machine and out, out would come a ball and inside was a little tiny T-Rex or something, you know, except this time it was a name. By the time you know, I was a kid, it was 25 cents for that machine, but yes. Work, work with me. Two of the three people on the podcast remember when a phone call was something you would do using something called a payphone and you'd use a dime in the payphone, right, Dean? Yeah, I, I yeah. used to... Uh, and you had like a dial instead of yeah we had pay phones when i was in school like in in middle school i was calling my mom and i would dial her on 1-800-COLLECT and they would say like what's your name and i'd say pick me up at the school <laughs> and then <laughs> it would dial through to my mom and it would say do you want to accept a call from pick me up at school and she would hang up yep perfect so that was how i gamed the system and didn't pay my quarter did you ever actually use a dial phone, Steve? A phone with yeah. a dial rather than buttons? Oh, yeah. I definitely used a dial phone. I never used the one that had like the different earpiece, you know, that you held up to your, like the. No, I, I, I didn't use that either. The crank or whatever. But yeah. no, a rotary, a rotary phone. Is that what they call it with the dial? Or is yeah. that the one I'm talking about with the crank? No, I'm talking about the rotary phone with a dial. Yeah, I was very good at that. Very good. If you're really good, you don't use the dial. You use the little buttons on top that you actually, when you hang up, it shuts off the phone. You can actually That's dial using those buttons if you hit them fast enough. Whoa, didn't know true, that. Yeah. True story. Yeah, it's true. All right. Anyway, on to, <laughs> where were we? Compound men. Let's start with those guys. So here we have the best compound men in the world uh, from the World Cup circuit. And Dean, you went to most of the World Cup events. Uh, you didn't go to all of them, but you went to most of them. Um, so you got the direct flavor of a, uh, shall we say, audience-less World Cup. What was that like? World Cup without an audience. Uh, yeah, I mean. Because they didn't even allow the archers to come watch the finals, right? Uh, I think they did. But, I mean, yeah, but, but what's that? 16 people in the stands, you know? Yeah, it's. It, for me, it, it didn't really make that much of a difference. I think for the archers on the stage, it was kind of more of a thing. I mean, for me, I just, usually I just focus on the archers. Of course, sometimes things happen in the crowd that are worth taking a photo of. But for me, it wasn't that much. There. It was a, a, a lot quieter than I'm used to. But other than that, uh, I mean, I'd say I, I sort of missed the crowd, but it wasn't disturbing me as much as it probably did for the archers. Well, we had, regardless of whether there was audiences or not, we had arguably some of the very best um, in the world who were competing on the circuit. And uh, they started yep. out with people that we also saw at the uh, World Championship, Championship, kind of proving proving that they belonged there. People like Abhishek Virma, um, and also Matthias Fullerton um, and Mike Schlusser. Those are three who were part of the World Cup that were also in the finals at the World Championship. On top of that, you had Braden Galantine and Chris Schaff from the United States. And you had Federico Pagnoni from Italy, Adrian Gontier from France, and Joseph Bosanski from Slovakia. Uh, I Another perhaps sensation. forgot to mention Abshek Virma. Abshek Virma, of course. Um, who's still one of the most impressive shooters to me after having seen him shoot something like 50 X's in a row, just a ridiculous amount of tens. Uh, I should say 50 tens in a row, not exaggerate. Uh, but yeah, literally like more than 50 tens in a row. 
uh, in various uh, stages at the uh, Asia Cup a couple of years ago. But uh, overall, a, a very good selection of shooters. Um, of course, the United States with uh, two of our better shooters. Um, Netherlands, Mike Schlusser, uh, I think, was the top seed outright. Uh, you had uh, Matthias in there. You had Federico, uh, Adrian, Joseph, and Abshek Virma. And so at the end of the day, um, what we got was Mike Schlusser versus Braden Galantine. And quite frankly, Braden looked a little puzzled up there. I, I'm not sure what was going on. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was a probably meme-worthy uh, up-close <laughs> shot of, of him. <laughs> Yeah, one of the better photos, Dean. Yes. Were you waiting for that? Dean, what's the story with that photo that you took? And for people who don't know what I'm talking about, there's a photo of the back of my head and, you know, one of the monitors that shows the feed from the TV truck. And it's got a close-up shot of Braden Galantine looking as if his eyes are about to pop out of his head. You know, like there's a nine-foot tarantula at his feet or something. What's the story there? How'd you get that photo? There's not really a big story or... Uh, what I usually do during events is take some photos of the setup that we have at each event, uh, taking photos of the crew working. Uh, those are usually used for uh, reports and, and whatnot. And this was just a, a, a funny coincidence, if, if you will. So, Would you do me a favor? If you have any photos of my setup. I'm not going to delete the photo, George. No, but when you put it in the report. <laughs> Would you put it in the part of the report that says how not to do things in the future, please? Like, I'll, I'll, this is how not to do it. If you could do that, I'd appreciate it. We'll make that happen. All right. So Chris Schaff. Chris Schaff takes bronze, uh, beats Matthias Fullerton uh, in the bronze medal match. Mike Schlusser pretty well crushed it. I mean, he just shot really well. Braden... You know, Braden's such a good shooter, but this, to, honestly, he looked puzzled. Uh, you know, he was shooting one side of the ring to the other. Um, same conditions as Mike. I, I just think maybe Braden had something going on that we're not aware of. Any insight on that, Steve, at all? No, I'm not sure he was aware of what it was. You know, it's just one of those things. That happens. That happens. You know, it happens I mean, to guys who feel like they're shooting good, and then you have guys who are up there like, man, I can't make a good shot at all. And Braden exactly. seemed to feel like, you know, at least look like he was expecting more than he was getting. And that happens uh -huh. sometimes. So. Yeah. And, we'll never and, hold it against a guy. Oh, no, no, by no means. But there's a perfect application of the phrase, it happens to the best of us, because Braden's right up there. So Yeah. Yeah. And either one of those guys, I think, was going to become the only other guy to win, to have won three World Cup finals. If I remember right, Braden has two. I could be wrong there. I don't know. Anyhow, Mikey won his third World Cup final, him and Sergio. Um, yeah, Sergio Pagni. Yeah. Yep. Oh, no. Who's back? You know, well, Sergio Pagni's got three, doesn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. He does. Okay. I was yeah. right about what I said, though. Both of the, yeah. both Mike and Braden had two, and now Mike's got three. Yeah. Yeah. You were right. So the women, um, again, a who's who of who's good. Um, Natalia Avdieva, reigning, you know, at the time world champion, uh, Paige Pierce of the United States. Andrea Becerra from Mexico, who's done wonderful stuff on the circuit this year. Savannah Vanderweer, who's a real rising star in American compound women, soon to be shooting recurve, from what I understand. Um, Nora Valdez, who uh, from Colombia, who had that breakout session at uh, a couple of the World Cup events. Uh, she shot real well in Guatemala, right, Dean? Yeah. And you had uh, Tanya Galantine from Denmark, Toya Ellison of Slovenia, 
and Sarah Lopez of Colombia. And we got ourselves very good matches. Tanya Galantine versus Nora Valdez. And Tanya Galantine shot pretty well. Um, not as brilliantly as we had seen in a couple of uh, passes that she'd put in, but she brought it when she needed it for the bronze medal final. Did you go away? No, I'm, I'm just waiting for you to jump in. Oh, I thought you were just going to keep going along the matches. It's another edit. Don't edit it. Just well, people might leave. Might, yeah, I don't know. They might think because sometimes we finish the show that way. They might think it's over. But yeah, I would just Tanya, keep going. Tanya, okay, don't edit. Don't edit it. I'll leave it in. Tanya shot well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving me hanging. I like it. Sarah Lopez versus Toya Ellison. I got to say, I thought Toya was going to actually pull the. Uh, Chestnuts out of the fire on this one. She shot, she started out real well. Yeah. Uh, Sarah had a, a string of three nines in a row there early, like second in maybe. And Toya had the lead. And then Toya had a uh, one point lead going into the final end. And, and she yeah, shot she, the, the golden sombrero. Yeah. Nines. Yeah. And so it was kind of all hers um, going into that last end. And unfortunately for her, and fortunately for Sarah, Sarah maintained her focus and kept it going. And uh, at the end of the day, still a spectacular finish for Toya Allison, silver medal. And another win for Sarah Lopez. And Steve, you alluded to this earlier. The finest compound woman to, woman to walk the earth right now is Sarah Lopez. Yeah, I mean, she's dominating right now. Yeah, I right. mean, has been. Yeah, the, the amount of years that she's been on top now, it's, yeah, I don't think it ever happened. It was indeed very impressive. Recurve women, we had another who's who of who's good. Um, Ana Vasquez from Mexico, who's been very strong. She, she yeah. showed some strength at the Tokyo Games as well. Svetlana Gomboyeva from Russia. Casey Koffold from the United States. Mackenzie Brown was able to make it to this event because enough time had elapsed from her you know, um, COVID bout. Um, then we had Deepika Kumari of India. Uh, Michelle Kropen of Germany. Elena Osipova of Russia. We could say Russia for the World Cup. We couldn't. By the way, Russia was under sanctions, so they had to be called RAF and not Russian Archery Federation, just RAF. That's all we were allowed to call them uh, at the World Championship. But the World Cup is a WA event, and WA doesn't have to follow all the rules for sanctions. And then um, Lisa Unruh from Germany. Uh, it was just really good to see Lisa again. Uh, it's been a yeah. while for me personally. And uh, she and her husband were both at the event. And uh, Lisa was in great form. Um, at the end of the day, it was Lisa Unruh versus Elena Osipova for the gold. And Lisa really brought a strong performance. Um, she just looked delighted the whole time, in my view. What, what were you thinking about uh, that, Dean? That's what I like about Lisa. Uh... It, it's hard. It's hard to see when she's disappointed. If she's ever disappointed, I mean, I'm sure she is. But uh, you know, if Lisa shows up at a tournament, whether it be indoor, outdoor, field, or whatever, you know she's going to be a top contender. And it was it was really nice to see Lisa win this one. And for and sure, I, I think well deserved. Absolutely. And uh, Michelle Kropen versus Deepika Kumari, uh, pretty pretty good match to start out, and then. I think Michelle actually just started outpacing Deepika uh, pretty strongly in there, if I recall correctly. And yeah, I mean, uh, if I look at the matches of, of uh, Michelle, she was 
up in most of the matches from the beginning. And then it seemed like they were slipping away a bit, uh, letting her opponent come back. And then in the end, she, yeah, she still yeah, revealed. But... And, and to your point, we had a little bit of that in this one too. Because she got off to a real strong start. Yeah, yeah it was four, yeah. four zero up, I, I think. And then... Yeah, and then Deepika managed to pull it back. So, yeah. but at the end, Michelle, um, I think Deepika Kumar zeros during the finals. Uh, that may well be true. Uh, Mackenzie Brown and Casey Koffold finished fifth and sixth, respectively. Svetlana Gombayeva of Russia was seventh, and Anna Vasquez, who's turning out to be quite a popular figure in social media too, uh, Anna was eighth. So, yeah. uh, a very good showcase for women's recurve at the World Cup. Um, just a, a tremendous amount of, uh, of work. Lisa had to beat Osipova in a, in a tie break, of course, which, uh, I mean, you can't ask for, as an announcer, a more dramatic kind of finish. Uh, Osipova shot a decent 10, but Unruh, Lisa Unruh, had a better 10. Yep. She had to deliver a near-perfect arrow to do it, but she yep. did. And so, um, you know, did not let up. I mean, anybody would... Anybody would understand, okay, you're in a shoot-off. You just caught a line on the 10 or whatever. Hey, you did your best. No, Lisa stuck that thing. And um, yeah. that is absolutely a very impressive result on her part. Yeah, I mean, and, and when Osipova shot, shot her 10, it, it put some extra pressure on Lisa. And that's what made it even more impressive by just shooting a better 10. Now, if you've got a big crowd... And I'll take your word for it, Steve, that it was a big crowd because I couldn't see the crowd. <laughs> I'm not going to let this go. Um, you want the kind of final that we had in men's recurve. We had, I would say, one of the best possible uh, groups of men for a show that you might want. We had Mauro Nespoli. Say what you will about Mauro. He's a showman. He, he absolutely is entertaining to watch shoot. And um, Max Weckmuller from Germany, Yun Sanchez from Spain, Nicholas Diamour from U.S. Virgin Islands, Atnu Das, Metagazos, the Olympic champion, Brady, uh, Atnu Das, by the way, the husband of Deepika Kumari, yeah. yep. Metagazos, the Olympic champion from Turkey, and of course, our two American entries, Brady Allison and Jack Williams. Um, at the end of the day, we were treated to some really amazing uh, finals. And I would say that that match between Jack and Brady will stand out as a the biggest, um, shall we say, statement of "I am here" that we have seen from an archer in a while, combined with, and in deference to Steve, two, um, the fact that. Those shootoffs or those opportunities can really make and break an event. A single arrow is what it came down to, uh, because Jack did not get off to a fast start. You know, Brady Brady was shooting really well to start with. He shot a thirty and he shot a twenty nine for the first two sets, um, and it's you know started looking like Brady was going to run away with the thing, and then Jack Jack shot a perfect set. Jack shot the whole day as good as I've ever seen anybody shoot a recurve. I mean, his match against Met, it was... Yeah, he, he opened <laughs> up with an 80, then shoots a 9, and he, 
you know, he only went up four two because Meta <laughs> shot a, a thirty there. Yeah, but yeah. and then he, I think he shot like a twenty nine or thirty to win. I mean, he was as good as I've like literally as good as I've ever seen anybody ever shoot a recurve in a finals setting. You know, I don't know what his arrow average was, but it was darn good. I'm sure. No, he was delivering tens like I would expect to see a Korean at the top of their form during that uh, semifinal. And it was, it was really impressive. I got to say, I mean, just 10 after 10 after 10, I can only imagine, I, I will say this credit to Meta for not being demoralized by that. You know, Meta yeah. still hung in there, yeah. but Jack was so dominant. He was, he was absolutely amazing. So by the time they got to the, uh, to the gold medal match, you know, Brady, Brady got off to that kind of start, you know, Brady shot a 30 and he shot a 29. So, you know, uh, you're looking at uh, really, really good shooting to start with. And, and Brady had a chance to win with his last shot in the fourth set. He was at four, two, but he was just out of the 10. I'm we're talking maybe two millimeters as I saw it on the monitor. Um, if he had touched that 10 line, it would have been done, but Jack started bringing the same kind of shooting he'd brought up against Meta, shot a perfect set, and forced a tiebreak. Now talk about high drama. Just an amazing situation. Yeah, it was like I said, it was it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. The whole like that day of shooting just goes back to what I was talking about with Kim Woo Jin, like why it was impressive he won. Because that day of shooting for men's recurve showed me like, man, there's a lot of guys shooting really well right yeah. now. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the fact that Jack did what he had to do in that tie break with Brady, Brady got up to shoot first and, you know, the wind was not terrible. There was a little bit of wind. Brady shot what looked like a good shot and it just fell short. It was in the nine ring, just out of the 10 ring. Jack stepped up there, 21 years old, the weight of the world on his shoulders. You might say there he is. Boom. Just drops a 10. Like he had done something like five out of six times on the, on the previous two ends. And uh, I just got to say, uh, you know, he just looked so calm up there and in command and in control of his emotions. And not that Brady wasn't, Brady was too. But to see these two guys shoot against each other was special. I mean, Brady has been there, like taking it all the way to the end and, I mean, but for Jack, Jack, I mean, you saw the explosion when <laughs> Jack won. I mean, yeah. And, and let's remember that uh, Jack being this excited. So, oh, yeah. And, and, and still, he was fairly restrained compared to some people we've seen. But yeah. Uh, and his family was there in the stands to see it, which was extra cool. And of course, uh, Brady had his wife uh, behind him in the uh, coaching box. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, I think this was a real, a real great thing from the standpoint of a spectacle, you know? Um, remember Brady beat Jack at the third stage of the World Cup uh, earlier this year, that was in Paris. But now Jack yeah. has beaten Brady for the title. And um, that is something that Jack is, I would say that this could propel Jack, you know, presuming he stays healthy, his shoulder situation is all, seems to be all better. Um, I think Jack is gonna be real hard to beat next season if he keeps up the momentum. Yeah, we'll see. Um, you know, you don't want to be a one hit wonder nope. and it's hard to win. It's hard to sustain it. Like 
you got to find a way to get on top. And then if you think you're there, like it's harder to stay on top, you know, that's, that's the truth. So, yeah. And, and to Brady's credit, he said some really nice things about Jack afterward. And, um, you know, you can tell that they're good teammates, uh, for sure. Uh, Meta beat Atnu Das in straight sets. Um, you know, I will say that Atnu Das shot pretty well. He looked like he was enjoying himself, but Meta was at a different level, in, in my opinion, in that particular matchup. So 6-0 on that one. Uh, yeah, Meta said that his goal was to try to shoot against Brady for the gold medal. And he's hoping that for the next World Cup final or World Championships, he'll have a chance to do that. Yeah, he's just going to keep predicting things because it worked for the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know yeah, what? I, I was, I'm, I'm going to call Meta and get lottery numbers sometime yeah. soon. Here's something this- interesting I read about Brady from an article. It says, Ellison has meddled at 11 of the 10 archery World Cup final events that he has qualified. You know, that is a whole different level. That's Spinal Tap <laughs> right there. It goes to 11. In the future. 11 out of the 10. He's somewhere Amazing. in the future winning a medal at an Archery World Cup final. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right now. Like, here we are on a podcast on a Wednesday afternoon, and this guy is way ahead of us winning yeah. medals at yeah, an Archery at World least Cup final. Arguably one full year ahead of us. You wonder what he did to get there, too. Man, oh, man. And it's pretty remarkable at 11 of the 10. That's, that's, well, what can I say? I've probably made similar mistakes, but we all know at the end of the day though, guys, would you not say that that were you not entertained? Was that not a good way to close out the season to see that match? Um, You know, a, a lot of, a lot of nice closure for the season in, in that event we had, you know, um, the most decorated guy on the circuit, eight title matches, five of those he's won, two bronze medals from 2013 and 2018. Um, he is he is just, Brady is just the guy, you know, he's just the man. And um, Jack is maybe the next man, at least for the US. Uh, but Brady's still hanging in there strong. And I think that he's still motivated to stay on top of it. I have not heard any peeps out of, Brady, that he's not planning on a full push for Paris yet. You guys oh, have any four one one? I got all the four one one, and he's pushing hard at Paris. He's going to put. Brady told me he's he's like I'm looking at you know L A twenty twenty eight. That's yeah. He told me the same thing. So, so good news, I, bad uh, news. Good news is we'll we'll see. We'll continue to see Brady. Bad news for the rest of <laughs> the competition, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, that's good news um, because, you know, there was some rumbling about after the Tokyo Olympics that he might retire. And uh, I think this helps put uh, an end to that question. Um, and, and quite frankly, uh, he is as good as he's ever been right now. So why would he quit? Right. I mean, he's got his life in order. You know, he's got great support, a great support team with Toya and, uh, and baby Ty, uh, who were both there. And I, I will tell you, I think he is as calm and relaxed and in his own space he's comfortable in his own skin i've known the guy for years and he's looking as comfortable as i've ever seen him it's nice to see where he's at mentally yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes all right so before we wrap up um other stuff 
from World Cup. Dino, they put you in an RV for two weeks. What was it like living in an RV for two weeks? I mean, it was an adventure. I, an adventure. I really, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I've never spent so much time in an RV. In fact, I, I don't think I've ever spent a night in an RV. Most camping that I did was in a tent. Um, yeah, it, 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 was, it was actually a cool experience, but two weeks was like, yeah, the max for me. Did they have to, uh, did they have to resupply the RV with water and all that? Uh, drain no, the, everything was the shower already, tanks. It was hooked up to, uh, oh, so it's on a line. Yeah. Oh. I see. I see. It was basically oh. like, 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 like a tiny house. And, and I mean, it was nice. We had the barbecues going during the evenings. Oh, yeah. I, I yeah. heard the campground was WA Party Central for, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Almost. I mean, we, we had uh, yeah, the dinners together, uh, uh, barbecues and, and, and stuff. So, yeah, it, it was kind of fun. I mean, yeah. Like I said, two weeks was kind of the max for me. Next big okay. event. Next big event in Yankton is going to be the World Field Championship next year. Yep, next year. So that'll, that'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, Yankton, if one thing Yankton knows how to do, it's a field tournament, right, Steve? Yankton, we'll see how, we'll see. I'm not going to commit to anything. Bruce has told me they're going to go and set up the real field course, which would be awesome, I guess. Um, I've never shot it, but I've heard good things about it. But Kind, of, gonna, kind of flat. No, the real field course is up on the bluffs, yeah. and it's very oh. steep. So is out, out by Mount Marty? No, past Mount Marty, out by the dam. Oh. Um, that's my understanding. I've never, that was years. If they stick World Field out behind the NFAA Center in those field ranges, the only challenge is going to be, you know, potential wind, you know, and <laughs> it's, uh, pretty flat pretty flat so there is there. some there is some varied ground to be found then yeah and i don't know if they're going to set up there we'll see we'll you see you know tom tom dealing uh arranged to have a bicycle there because as you as you guys may know tom is uh has gotten heavily into bicycling which is uh, you know he's gotten into pretty good shape uh because he's been bicycling long distances for some time now and um he told me that he discovered that Yankton actually has some major elevation changes out toward the, um, I guess, the west side of town. Yeah, that'd be so heading seems towards to me the like lake. there's some opportunities there. Yeah. Yeah, there's a big hill out there, but uh, we'll see what they set up for World Field. I mean, I don't know. I don't really care, and I don't have any. Uh, you know, it's not like it's going to prevent me from shooting. If, I'm going to try to shoot. I'm going to try to make the team. I'm going to try to shoot it. And if the target's flat, I'll shoot it as if it's flat. If the target has a 10% cut, I'll give it a 10% cut. There you so, go. Well, not much, the, not much I can do. That is the bottom line key to field archery, of course. Figure out the correct distance and make it happen. Most people you know, wouldn't realize to do a percentage cut. They would do some stupid degree and then they'd get the math wrong. And No, I, I always run a straight percentage just because I, I have less chance of screwing up. That's you and I, George. That's you and I, not most. Well, you may have a point. <laughs> Of course, you are a world field champion. Yes. I only was on a world field team. I wasn't good enough to be the champion. But 
you had to you had to know something about field archery to get on the team. So, all right, Dino, sure. it's been a long season for you. What are your plans now? Um, yeah, I just try to get some some work done. At home. Most I people mean, would be saying the word rest right about now. Yeah, which is not traveling for me is rest, and and I'll probably spend a few days, probably weeks doing as less as possible just to charge the the old battery but uh yeah I'm, I'm i'm i need to archive photos i'm working on a system to archive all my photos and and so I, that means i think the amount of photos on my server not even counting this year's photos is 1.7 million photos so, 1.7 so million I, photos for this season no, no, no. None, uh, without, oh, total, total over yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Without this season. I haven't even counted this season's photos or edited it. So I need to tag. Uh, I'm not going to tag all of the photos. I'm going to start working backwards, like from now, and then probably go up until to London. But yeah, I need to tag all the photos by names and events and whatnot. So yeah, to make it easy to search. Yeah, and Dean, you've got a public photo server and you sell uh, prints of your photos or, or copies of your photos. Can you tell us, uh, tell the listeners uh, where to find that? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't really sell photos. Um, I, I, I mean, if an archer wants a photo of himself, uh, just, and I mean, literally for himself, not using uh, it, it for uh, commercial purposes, uh, they can get the photo for free. And, and print it. Well, okay, that's really cool of you. But if people want to browse your photos, where can they go? They go to either the World Archery Smogmog website, that is worldarchery.smogmog.com, which is basically a mirror of uh, my Dutch Target Smogmog page. Uh, I haven't, due to work, I haven't been able to update the Dutch Target Smogmog page. So uh the most recent photos and of all the events i've been to uh are on the worldarchery.smogmog.com page worldarchery.smugmug.com and uh all of dean's work is there um you can search it you can uh i guess you can download it and you can enjoy seeing the world through the lens of dean alberga Dean, it has been great having you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us uh, today. Thank you, George. Steve, it's, it's always a pleasure talking to you guys. So, yeah, hopefully Steve, we'll do it again soon. Steve, did you see that Easton wants to start promoting the podcast? Did you see that uh, something happened and they, they seem to suddenly want to promote the podcast? Did you see that? I saw that and um, I don't know why. I don't know why either, except we did have Greg on as a special guest. I'm not saying there's a connection. I'm simply saying I had Greg on and suddenly Easton wants to promote the podcast. Yeah. I'm beginning to think that no one's ever listened to it. Otherwise, right. why would they want to promote it? Right. Right. What are they thinking? Right. Just like the quote from Aaron Lucky in that press release they just put out. <laughs> I actually had to edit that out. Um, <laughs> I thought it was funny, but most wouldn't 
understand and most people aren't funny so a lot of people aren't a lot of people don't have a sense of humor on the internet you know i've noticed that i've noticed that it's one of the funniest places in the whole world the internet and it doesn't let us down but then you get a lot of people who just can't register anything with comedy value it's the lack of facial expression to go along with the delivery that is half the problem in my opinion yeah that's why lol was invented it is absolutely I also think that the uh, big slide that I have that says, if you said to someone's face the things you seem to feel free to type on a keyboard on the internet, you'd get punched in the face. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Not enough people get punched in the face these days. I think it's a perfect place to end. (laughs) 